Hello, my name is Dean, and I have a new life in Christ. I'm recovering from idolizing my wife, rescuing my children, and lust. Let's pray. Lord, let my words point to your faithfulness and grace in my life and give hope to those who are listening. May the power of your love, Lord Jesus, break the chains of sin for everyone in this room. Amen. In the winter of 1955, I was born in a sharecropper's family on a northwest Iowa farm. Uh, I was born with cerebral palsy, and the doctor said that I would never walk and likely live a closed-in life. God says in Psalm 139 that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So who's right, the doctors or God? Coming to understand God's perspective on my disability is an important part of my story of grace. Until I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I struggled with fitting into a world designed for healthy bodies. I was obviously different, made fun of in school, avoided by people who felt uncomfortable being around a disability, and rejected by employers and girls. I just wanted to be normal and fit in. So why does God create people with disabilities? Jesus said, that th said this about a blind man in John 9.3. It is not that this man sinned, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. I have now come to accept this divine truth about my disability. I am wonderfully created by God and for his glory. Now, God has already started to redeem some of my physical disabilities. As a child, my mother exercised my weak limbs every day and tried getting me to walk. She told me when she was in the nursing home one time, when I was exercising you, you'd start crying and then I'd start crying, which made us both cry. <laughs> so one day she placed a, a, a dish towel around my waist and she slowly raised me to my feet and to my mother's joy, I learned to stand on my own. And later, I started walking. Now, I still have functional limitations and pain, but for God's glory, he redeemed me from a closed-in life, using the sacrificial love of my mother as an instrument of his grace. I like to think that the master potter is smiling down on me as I navigate earth on his training wheels. Now, it even gets better. God didn't just help me to walk. He gave me an abundant life. Amen. I went on to learn to how to navigate life with one good arm and wobbly legs, including playing baseball, golf, tennis, and traveling around the globe during my career. God didn't see my disability. All he saw was his glory in me. Amen. After moving away from this God-fearing farm community to find out my place in the world, darkness began to engulf me. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil's strategy was to use money, opportunity, temptation, and isolation to lure me into his trap. I spent the next two decades experiencing life without God. I was the worst of sinners before receiving Christ. I was a co-conspirator in the murder of, an un, of my unborn child, a serial, serial adulterer and an ambitious workaholic. I enjoyed success in my career, measured in terms of wealth, prestige, and possessions, but success came at a high cost. I always chose career over my family, 
which resulted in two destroyed marriages and dysfunctional children. Things worsened when I started traveling internationally and lived in isolation, including addiction to alcohol, hotel porn, and prostitutes. I was self-righteous, portraying myself in public as a Christian while privately living a loathsome life hidden from others. 1 Timothy 6.9 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I learned this lesson firsthand. But just like the prodigal in the far country, I finally came to my senses and stopped these destructive behaviors. But sin doesn't stop, it just changes. The far country experience left me full of guilt and shame which manifested itself in continuously rescuing my dysfunctional children and idolizing my marriage. It took me another two decades before I understood and dealt with these sins. Now a good shepherd will often break the leg of a rebellious sheep to stop it from running off. In the same vein, I broke my hip in 2011, which dramatically changed the trajectory of my life. It took a year to recover from two surgeries and forced me to retire early. And during this recovery, I realized that my whole identity had been wrapped up in my career and that all my personal relationships were broken. I tried everything to control and fix these relationships on my own, but things just got worse. But God is faithful. Feeling desperate, I remembered how my grandmother always encouraged me to attend church. I took her advice and several years later, on August 13, 2014, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was baptized that day by a retired DTS pastor, sitting right over here, and in a pool of a community group member who was sitting right over here. This retired pastor taught me also how to walk in the spirit as a baby Christian. During the next several years, my heart was on fire for Jesus, and I consumed everything Christian. I was finally moving forward again. It was a time of revitalization and forging a new vision for my life, and I changed my focus from financial success to eternal significance. My new economy was comprised of relationships with love as my currency. I started with my failing marriage, which was in a free fall. I've been married for 15 years, and I, I idolized Mary and showered her with gifts and a great lifestyle. I felt like God was giving me a second chance at happiness. Unfortunately, I soon learned the biblical lesson of you reap what you sow. The decades of rescuing my son and daughter continued as one of my sin patterns, and it was destroying our marriage. I hid rescuing my children from Mary and covered my tracks by lying. When Mary started withdrawing from marriage, I made matters worse by spying on her. Miraculously, I remained faithful to my wife during this period, and she hasn't left me, even with all the pain that I've inflicted. In Joel 2.25, God promises he will repay us for the years the locusts have eaten. Convinced that God would restore our marriage, I enthusiastically studied scripture and commentaries on his design for marriage and tried applying it, but nothing seemed to work. My wife became further withdrawn, angry, 
and we started living like roommates. I was miserable and completely exhausted. Where was the love, peace, and joy that God promised me? Frustrated, I began searching scripture to find a way out of my marriage. Surely this wasn't the good plan that God has for me. Looking back, indeed it was. Before giving up, I took the matter to Watermark's re-engaged marriage leader. For hours, I explained my circumstances, failed attempts, and shared scripture supporting my view for leaving the marriage. After I vented, the re-engaged leader shared how much God hates divorce and how God wants to heal my hard heart and teach me how to sacrificially love my wife as Christ loved the church. Not exactly the answer I hoped for. I tried arguing 1 Corinthians 7.15, which says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. I argued that my wife had already left the marriage relationally, emotionally, and she was living in a separate part of the house. No peace here. Then the re-engaged leader gave me a primer on God's sacrificial love for me and that God expects me to love my wife the same way. In desperation, I argued, so if my wife leaves and walks out the front door, I can't even let her go? He responded by basically saying no. God wants you to get down on your knees and beg her to stay. If she keeps walking out the door, grab her leg and don't let go. That's how God sacrificially loves you, and that's how he wants you to love your wife. I was speechless. The re-engaged leader then encouraged me to stop looking for biblical loopholes and go to regen. While I was looking for a way out of my marriage, God was looking for a way in. Amen. Me and my heart reluctantly started to attend Regen. The testimonies I and sharing and groundwork were so honest and vulnerable, it was kind of frightening. I couldn't believe how openly people were talking about their personal junk, you know, stuff that I was ashamed of and hiding. Then it just happens. Before long, I'm talking about my hurts and habits and hang-ups with a circle of broken guys I barely know. And I call it the circle of trust. What's said in Regen stays in Regen. It's a place to take off your mask and be fully known. It's funny how God can use strangers to change your life. Praise God. I was placed in the first 12-step group on the Plano campus, along with 15 guys. The first two steps, admit and believe, created an early breakthrough for me. I already felt confident of God's will for my marriage, but when I tried following his will, things got worse and I was burnt out. The admit step basically teaches that I can't change anything in my own power. Or as Romans 7:18 says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. The belief step teaches while I can't, that God can, using his power. I was performing for God like a Pharisee, more interested in modifying my behaviors than changing my heart. Surrendering to God requires changing from the inside out and having a deeper relationship and identity in Christ. I was also spending way too much time hating sin and not enough time loving God. Or as Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In step four inventory, I documented page after page of sin over my lifetime. 
when I began seeing the ruts of sin patterns that they often led to idols. And anyone who's serious about a deep relationship with God needs to agree with God on his sin and stop worshiping these man-made idols. The Spirit revealed that I was idolizing my wife and that I was rescuing my adult children and that it was destructive, both to them and to my marriage. But inventory blessed me in an unexpected way. It painted this amazing portrait of God's sacrificial love for me. He never stops pursuing me, and, he, and I see his untraceable hand in everything throughout my life. I draw upon this profound truth on days I feel like giving up on my marriage. God never gives up on me, so I will never give up on my marriage. Great is his faithfulness. The next two steps, confess and repent, teach us to be first reconciled to God. 1 John 1.7 promises if we walk in the light, as God walks in the light, Jesus cleanses us. Sin loves to live in the darkness, but if exposed to God's light, the light chases sin away. I learned this the hard way. After confessing to God the sin of rescuing my children and hiding it from my wife, I remember praying, Lord, teach me how to live in the light of God's truth and give me the strength and wisdom to repent. I did not expect God's quick response. My wife, who doesn't trust me, uh, soon thereafter accused me of hiding things and started searching through everything. My bank accounts, credit cards, emails, texts, phone calls, my wallet. Um, I imagined God smiling down at me and saying, well, I just did what you asked for. <laughs> you know, while, I, while this was painful and a humbling way to repent from lying and manipulating, it was highly effective. Or as my grandmother used to say, be careful what you pray for, Dean. God may pray it out of your hand, pry it out of your hands. The next three steps, forgive or follow, forgive, and amends, teach how to respond to God's grace. For me, amends was the most difficult. I sweated over making amends to my wife. I wanted to be vulnerable, authentic, and demonstrate God's grace and transformation in my life. In addition to overcoming my anxiety, I prepared myself for her reaction, which could be good or bad or indifferent. I spread the amends over several days, and finally I asked my wife for forgiveness. Her anger and mistrust could not let her forgive me, and she said, marrying you was the worst mistake I ever made. Have to pause there, recollect here. Uh, it doesn't matter how much I prepared my heart for this response. And it still gets me, obviously. I was devastated and speechless. But then the spirit prompted me to say to Mary, I also despise that man who caused you so much pain. I hope that someday that I'm no longer that person and you'll give the new 2.0 version of me another chance. Graduation from Regen was wonderful. After six weeks of groundwork, 37 weeks of daily homework, a pile of prayer cards I keep in a bowl at home, and a mentor who knows my every hurt, habit, and hang-up, I graduated from Regen. Everyone in the, every one of the men of, of, in our group miraculously made it across the finish line. As we celebrated, we all understood the reality that regeneration will be occurring for the rest of our earthly lives. Our transformation and new life in Christ was just beginning. I completed Regen a couple of years ago, and I continue my lifelong path of regeneration. 
after reading Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul also went through regen. Paul told the Philippians, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, to, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Regen teaches us to respond to all of life's circumstances, not in our own strength, but in Jesus' strength. If your life is a mess, turn to Jesus. If it's great, turn to Jesus. Regen also changed my perspective on suffering. Previously, I viewed suffering as something to run away from. I couldn't stop the voices in my head beating me down. It felt exhausting and hopeless. Regen teaches us to suffer well. The book of James, James tells us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Before Regen, I used to see God through my circumstances, thinking somehow I need to change my circumstances and then I'll reach God. But this was backwards. When I saw that God was already with me, I started seeing my circumstances through God. What a relief. When you view your sufferings, sufferings as trials which God is using to teach you something, it does become joyful. I used to complain about the suffering in my marriage. A fun guy to be around, right? Now I joyfully share how God is using my marriage to teach me how to sacrificially love my wife as Christ loves the church. Regen helps identify sin patterns and idols that may require more equipping to kick down the stubborn strongholds. This was my case regarding the issue of rescuing my prodigal children. Shortly after Regen, I attended Watermark's prodigal ministry. I was humbling, it was humbling to learn that I was also a prodigal who enabled my adult children and created all kinds of dysfunction in their lives and my marriage. Changing my prodigal behaviors over the last two years is having a positive impact on my children and my marriage. I stopped enabling my children and am now learning how best to love them as God loves me. To make these changes, I needed to trust God with all the outcomes. In prodigal lingo, this is called laying your Isaac down. My hope is that someday my wife and I will attend re-engage together. Regen qualifies as my, qualified as my community group, but this was gone after graduation. And Regen is a great example of how a community group should work. After Regen, I joined a Watermark community group, who's, uh, a group of men whose wives don't attend Watermark or are in difficult marriages. Some of the guys are in Regen, and, and all of us, rather than sitting around and complaining about our marriages and our wives, we stay in our circles, and we focus on our part of being godly husbands. I encourage all of you to avoid going into isolation after Regen. Keep see seeking Jesus through community. After graduation, I became a Regen mentor quite by accident. Uh, I was late for Sunday worship and was making a beeline for the door traveling at my top cane speed while some guy was making a beeline towards me. 
and uh, it turned out that he, uh, he was a regen. He was in regen, and he was about to drop out, and he needed a mentor. I didn't even know the guy, but I agreed to be his, to be his mentor. Um, I asked him later why he picked me, and he said, well, I see you in church all the time, and you're disabled, so you must have overcome some things in your life. <laughs> so if you can't find, a re can't find a mentor, just tackle somebody in the hall there. Uh, Mentoring Regen participants uh, has been a real blessing in my life, so I encourage anybody who graduates from Regen to consider this. 1 Corinthians 1 proclaims, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I felt that God was calling me back to the Regen ministry, and it happened last December. After a couple of months of, leading, uh, of leadership training, I began co-leading a 12-step group in February, along with a, a guy that I graduated with uh, two years before. Co-leading Regen is giving me another spiritual, spiritual growth spurt. And seeing the, the group of guys seeking a deep relationship with Jesus is inspiring. And now I even have a bigger bowl of prayer cards. The reason I went to Regen was my marriage, which is slowly improving, albeit at the pace of watching corn grow. We still live like roommates, and, I don't, and we don't trust each other, but there are some green shoots popping up, so I remain hopeful. Proverbs 21:31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Through Regen, I've come to accept that my marriage is circumstances that are outside my control. I leave the outcome to God and focus on my part of sacrificially loving Mary. Your will, Lord, not mine. Finally, I'd like to thank the Regen leadership for allowing me to speak these words tonight. But it's not just words that I proclaim, for my words point to the word, and the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever. Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, and you, know the, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. My name is Dean. I have a new life and identity in Christ. And by God's grace, I'm being set free from idolizing my wife, rescuing my children, and lost. Thank you.